Well, it's time for the Discover the Word group to get together again. Marty Hahn, Elisa Morgan, Bill Crowder, and Daniel Ryan Day are in their spots around the table with, of course, a chair reserved for you. And uh, Daniel, who says he has always loved fantasy-type stories like The Lord of the Rings and The Chronicles of Narnia, uh, Daniel is going to be leading the conversations on the next two Discover the Word podcasts. This week and next week, I'm super excited. We get to talk about the story of Jonah. And if I'm honest, it's hard for me to see Jonah as real because of my love for fantasy. And so one of the things we're going to look at today, the question that we're going to try to answer is, was Jonah a real dude? And so are you familiar with the story of Jonah, uh, Jonah and the Great Fish? Uh, This series is called Surprise and begins with that discussion about Was Jonah a real dude? (laughs) Discover the word next. And it is great to have you here at the front end of another series of conversations with the Discover the Word group. Discover the Word is the small group Bible study from Our Daily Bread Ministries. And as I mentioned, Daniel is going to be leading this study with Mart and Elisa and Bill called Surprise focusing on the story of the Old Testament minor prophet Jonah and his amazing, surprising story that holds a number of important messages for us in our world today as well. Some things about God that are surprising and convicting. I understand why Daniel is so excited to get going on this. And I think that's what we're ready to do right now. So pull your chair up to the table and think about how you would answer this question about your favorite fantasy, science fiction type story series. These types of stories are still really popular today. And it has been a common genre of storytelling, well, forever. All right, question for you. What is your favorite fantasy novel or series of novels? My favorite fantasy novel is one that nobody at this table has ever heard of, and I bet I've read it 30 times. That's a little scary. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. It's entitled Time's Last Gift. And it's about a group of people from the early 22nd century who travel back in time and have all kinds of adventures. Interesting. Probably the, you know, best known one for me is like Chronicles of Narnia Mm -hmm. or even C.S. Lewis's Perlandra trilogy. You know, those are the ones that come to my mind quickly. Yeah. I got into fancy stories late in life. George MacDonald, a 19th century author, fascinated me in ways that I never, ever expected. First of all, to read somebody who was writing with a thick Mm -hmm. English, you know, Scottish English, and to get into his fantasy, but he just captured my mind. Did he kind of precede C.S. Lewis? He preceded, Uh yeah. Okay. My favorite would be Lord of the Rings, Mm -hmm. but... A very close second is the Chronicles of Narnia series with C.S. Lewis. Now, why do we call it fantasy? What are some of the characteristics of a fantasy novel versus a historical fiction? It is fantastic. It is something that comes out of imagination as opposed to fact. Absolutely, yeah. And so the reason I'm bringing that up is because this week and next week, I'm super excited, we get to talk about the story of Jonah. And if I'm honest, it's hard for me to see Jonah as real because of that fantasy background of Mm -hmm. my love for fantasy. And so I've often wondered, is Jonah, is it true? Is it a real story? Mm -hmm. Would it really matter? What if it's this great story that's a lot like the stories that Jesus told? I mean, he tells the story Mm -hmm. of the Good Samaritan. 
Did that ever really happen? Eh, we don't really care, do we? Mm. If the idea of it is powerful and and gripping. That's a creative thought, Mart. And we know that the Bible is made up of various kinds of literature. You know, we have poetry, we have history, we have stories. Mm-hmm. So does it matter? Hmm, interesting. Well, and I would say, and I hear exactly what you're saying, and I think when we talk about Jesus' parables and things like that, it doesn't matter whether those were literal happenings or whether they were fantasies mm-hmm. in a different kind of sense. I guarantee you it would matter to the people of Nineveh <laughs> whether this really happened or not, okay. because they're the ones who are going to be the eventual recipients of a message of hope. But if you assume that any character of any novel is real, it would matter to that person. Right. I'm not suggesting that it's mm-hmm. fantasy. I'm just, I think it's an important question, though, because a lot of people do look at Jonah and they say, I just can't believe that that's real. And I think one of the questions that we can walk with throughout all of our programs on this and that I would encourage those who are at the table with us to keep in mind is, does it matter? Mm -hmm. Does it matter if it's real or is there a message in this story that regardless of whether I land on it being a historical story or not, is there a lesson from this story that I can learn? And I think either way that we'll find that Jonah is a very surprising story, that it's a very challenging story, especially for the culture we live in today. As I read the book of Jonah, I get exactly what you're saying, Daniel. It does sound like almost like something you'd see in a cartoon. But as I read the story of Jonah, I don't see anything in that story that's beyond the capability of the God the Bible describes to me. I think it's all very much within his capacity. So to take it as a literal story is not at all a problem. Yeah, and it's not for me either. Yeah, and I think one of the things we're going to look at today, the question that we're going to try to answer is, was Jonah a real dude? And we're going to start right there. But before we do that, let me just give a little context for the story in case there's people that maybe aren't familiar with the story of Jonah. I think it's one of the more popular stories out of the Bible. So Jonah's a story that is surprising because it shows up in an Old Testament that could be read as a story about one people group. Who would that be? Israel. Yeah. And so you could walk away from the Old Testament thinking that God only cares about one group of people. Mm-hmm. And the reason the story of Jonah is important, as we'll see over the next programs, is because we're going to see that God cares a lot about another group of people that aren't Israelites. In fact, they're Israel's enemies. And God calls Jonah to go and preach to these enemies. And Jonah doesn't want anything to do with that. I mean, this is such a revolutionary concept in the Old Testament that God loves these other people and wants one of the Hebrew prophets to go and speak to them, that Jonah goes in the other direction. And so I think one of the questions that I really want us to think about as we go through this week and next week is, are there people in my life today that I've decided are not worthy of God's mercy and grace? Mm -hmm. Are there people that because of my circumstances, because of the way my family grew up, because of the nation I'm a part of, that I don't want to see them in heaven? I don't want God to meet them. And we're not going to answer that today. Mm -hmm. But I want that to be one of those driving questions that's in the background for us because Jonah didn't want anything to do (laughs) with the Ninevites. And he didn't want God to do anything with Nineveh either, other than to destroy it. Mm -hmm. And so I think that is the question that we get to work with. So as we begin to unpack that, I just want to ask the question, does Jonah show up anywhere else in Scripture? 
Well, we know he shows up in the New Testament because Jesus talks mm-hmm. about him and references his experience in the belly of the great fish and all that. In a very significant way, Yes, too. yes. The most significant yeah. way, referencing his resurrection. The way Jonah came out of a whale is yeah. the way Jesus comes out of the grave. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah, and if people would like to look that up today, it's in Matthew chapter 12, verses 39 through 41. And we won't read that today because actually on our last day of talking about Jonah, we'll be talking about that passage. But you're right. Jesus refers to Jonah mm-hmm. as a historical person And as a result of that, it's a picture of who he is and what he accomplished. What about in the Old Testament? Is there any section in the Old Testament that mentions Jonah? I don't know. Are there? There are. (laughs) Um, (laughs) In 2 Kings, we have a reference to Jonah. It's 2 Kings chapter 14. It begins in verse 23 through 29 because it's describing the reign of Jeroboam II. We can just read verse... 25. So somebody have that for us. Jeroboam II recovered the territories of Israel between Labo Hamath and the Dead Sea, just as the Lord, the God of Israel, had promised through Jonah, son of Amittai, the prophet from Gath Hepher. I'm glad you read that, Mark. <laughs> <laughs> so Jonah is a real person who shows up in the Old Testament during the reign of Jeroboam II. And what's really interesting, I would encourage our listeners to join us by reading those verses, because what you're going to see is Israel's not in a good place. Mm. Jeroboam II is one of those kings, like a lot of kings in the north, who is described in verse 27 as he did evil in the sight of the Lord. And Mm -hmm. one of the repetitive phrases in 2 Kings is, and then there was this king, who did evil in the sight of the Lord. And then there was this king who did evil in the sight of the Lord. And then usually after that comes the consequences of living outside of how God has created the world to work. And part of those consequences at the time of Jeroboam II was that the borders of the north had been broken down. Israel was being invaded over and over and over again. So it was this time of turmoil And we see in this story that God did a miracle that he prophesied through Jonah would happen. Mm -hmm. And that's restoring that border, which is what we just read. But the whole thing I want us to see here is that this is a very short section of verses. Israel is in a mess. And yet God shows up and calls Jonah to go somewhere else and fix someone else's problem. It's very similar In Luke chapter 4, after Jesus announces his ministry in the synagogue at Nazareth, and he says, you know, there are many widows in Israel who were hungry in the days of Elijah, but he was sent to the woman at Zarephath, and there were many lepers in Israel. But Elisha wasn't sent to them, but to Naaman the Syrian. So there's this hint, a bigger mission and a bigger idea than Israel understood. But I get your concern that here in the text we're just looking at in Second Kings, Jonah is to help protect the borders, or that's what the goal is. And now when we look at the book of Jonah, Jonah is sent to an enemy. Mm-hmm. That's very surprising. Yeah, and I think it's surprising because there was so much good, you know, from our perspective, it seems like there's so much good Jonah could have done in Israel, mm-hmm. right? Like he's a prophet. And oftentimes God would send prophets to Israel to help them understand God's love for them more or his grace or how he wants to transform their lives. And so the question that we're left with this week and next week is why would God take 
a religious leader, a prophet from Israel at a time when Israel was in turmoil and ask him to go to another nation. An enemy. An enemy of Israel and help them. All right, think of a movie where there are good people or good guys and the enemies or the bad guys. Mm -hmm. Can you think of one and who are the good and the bad? I can think of a whole series, you know, whether it's The Great Escape or Indiana Jones or Diary of Anne Frank. It's always the good guys against the Nazis. Mm -hmm. When I was growing up, it was always the cowboys. And you could always tell the good guy from the bad guy. The good guy always wore a white hat and the bad guy always wore Mm -hmm. a black hat. Yeah, and and maybe a scarf or a kerchief over his face, right? But now today, even computer hackers who are in the dark side of that stuff are called black hats. Because they're bad guys. But you know, when you talk about the Westerns, I grew up to thinking those most innocent things, even though they're shooting one another up. Today Mm -hmm. I look at it and think... (laughs) The way they were killing the Indians. I mean, there's a sense in which you bring a whole different life perspective. What were we thinking? I know. The genre of the evil one. We have a lot to look at and be responsible for. Treating them like animals. And that changes the argument of who's the good guy and who's the bad guy. Right. It sure does. Did you want to go in this direction, Daniel, with your question? (laughs) Actually, it's perfect because we're talking about the book of Jonah. And one of the things that we expect when we watch a movie with good guys and bad guys is that the good guys go after the bad guys. And that's how the movie presents it as good. And we found out last time that Jonah, at a time when his nation was in turmoil, God shows up and says, hey, I want you to go and talk to your enemies. The bad guys. Those are the bad guys. Hmm. From Jonah's perspective. So let's read that, actually. It's in Jonah chapter 1, verses 1 through 3. Now the word of the Lord came to Jonah, the son of Amittai, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it, for their evil has come up before me. But Jonah got up and went in the opposite direction to get away from the Lord. He went down to the port of Joppa, where he found a ship leaving for Tarshish. He bought a ticket and went on board hoping to escape from the Lord by sailing to Tarshish. Okay, time out, Mm. because there is a lot of information here that the author is assuming that we know, Mm -hmm. but we don't know. So last time we talked a little bit about Jonah. Saying that he was probably a real dude. During the reign of Jeroboam II in northern Israel. But now we see like a bunch of cities named like Nineveh and Tarshish. It's hard to say, isn't it? It is. Yeah, Tarshish. (laughs) (laughs) And so the first thing, now the word of the Lord came to Jonah, the son of Amittai, saying that phrase, now the word of the Lord came. I think we're probably familiar with that phrase in scripture, wouldn't you think? Yeah, it's found a lot of times in the prophets, especially in the minor prophets. Most of them had a very short span of ministry. And what triggered that ministry was receiving a word or message from God for usually his people. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I've got a few references listed here. Genesis 15, 4, Jeremiah 1, 4, Ezekiel 18. And then we find out even in the New Testament, it's mentioned. Where's that, Elisa? Uh, The word of the Lord came to John, the son of Zacharias. And that's when Jesus is revealed. Maybe John the baptizer, right? Right, yeah. And so the word of the Lord came. It seems to be this initiating of God's movement. What do we expect the person to do once they hear this phrase? Well, (laughs) we've talked about it before. The Hebrew word for hear is sometimes translated obey because there was this implied thing that if we hear from God, we respond. 
uh, mm -hmm. to him mm -hmm. in an appropriate way. And so when you hear the word of the Lord, what are you supposed to do? Well, you're supposed to, whatever Something, the word of the Lord's yes. instructing. And mm -hmm. give attention to it. Yeah, that yeah. is, the first sense is to hear it, yeah. to give mm -hmm. attention to it. Yeah. 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 But often respond in some way yeah. or obey in some way. That's the implication. Mm -hmm. Yeah. yeah. Mm -hmm. All right. So who does the word of the Lord come to in this story? Jonah. And so how would we expect Jonah to respond? Obey. Not how does he, but how <laughs> do we expect him to at this point? To get up and to go to the great city of Nineveh. And to do what God asked him to yeah. do. Okay. And what's interesting about that, Daniel, is that he tells him to go and cry against it. Against. Against Nineveh, which, as we saw yesterday, Nineveh was their enemy, and he's telling him to go cry against it. It would seem like, I'm in. Mm -hmm. You mean I get to be the one to yeah. go and <laughs> pronounce judgment on them? I get to be the messenger of God's judgment? So I why mean, doesn't he? That's a good point. Yeah. Well, I'm hoping that Daniel's going to help us understand <laughs> that as we go through this. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and you're exactly right. So... We expect Jonah to hear this and then respond. And then we get on to the next phrase, Arise, go to Nineveh, the great city, call out against it, for their evil has come up before me. And as you just mentioned, the idea of crying out against, that should be good news. What Except, is, think about it. You, know, you go to your enemy and you start shouting out words of condemnation against them. Who wants to do that? Well, Who depends. dares to do that? Yeah, to do it. I think a lot of people <laughs> might want to do it. That's a good way to get killed. <laughs> That's exactly right. That's exactly right. right. And the people of Nineveh, they had a pretty good reputation for how they killed people. Yeah. Their ways of killing, just the history of that people, mm -hmm. the atrocities, mm -hmm. the kinds of things that they did to their enemies. Which is what is being horrific. referenced, the evil has come before yeah. mm -hmm. the Lord. Their okay. violence, their mm -hmm. cruelty. Okay. And not only that, it's probably also the fact that they are worshiping other gods. Mm. They have gods mm -hmm. that are not the God mm -hmm. whom they worship. There's also something interesting here in this part, and that is that the word evil could be translated as trouble. And there's some scholars that think that that word trouble implies not just the evils that have come up before God is in violence and worshiping other gods, but also this sense of that there's bad things going on, that the people of Nineveh are suffering in such a way, and that Jonah would have heard this not only as declaring, hey, these things you're doing wrong, but also that you're in the midst of this trouble, this suffering. And some of those at that time would have been like military and diplomatic losses. There were a lot of domestic uprisings. There was a famine. So there are these terrors that the people are experiencing that Jonah may have already gotten an indication from God hey, when you go and speak against the evils, it's also going to be about their miseries and their troubles that they're suffering with. And it may have hinted to him, uh-oh, I know my God, and my God might be trying to alleviate troubles that they're dealing with as well. And so there may have already been that hint of compassion there, just in that word trouble. Hmm. And isn't it interesting, just at a very basic level, that that kind of a concern... And what we'll see later in the book about God's compassion for Israel's enemies still ends up in a book in the Hebrew scriptures. Exactly. Yes. That they themselves thought that this was a story that needed to be told. I just find that fascinating. It goes against their nationalist interests. Yeah, it really does. But we don't really understand very well right now. I mean, I'm still really trying to follow along going, God told Jonah to go to the Ninevites and cry out against the evil. 
And the next verse says, but Jonah rose to flee. What's, I, I mean, he's afraid, okay. I mean, he didn't want to get involved with mm-hmm. the trouble, but what's really going on there? With yeah. Him? And I know people probably have to hang with us a little bit, especially on the part of the troubles and whether that could really mean that God was going to show compassion. The story will end up telling us, but we have to wait a little while to get there. But you're right, he flees. So we just talked a few minutes ago about how we expect Jonah to, to listen, obey. to hear, and to obey. Mm-hmm. Because he is a prophet. Mm-hmm. Because he is a prophet. And, and he's had a history of he's being a prophet. And it's his job. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Right. it's his job. That's <laughs> his, his full-time yeah. job is yeah. to do what God says to right. do. Yeah. All right, so what does Jonah do instead? He flees. He flees away from the presence of the Lord. Now, what's interesting here, he doesn't say anything in response to God. He doesn't even acknowledge God. It just says that he leaves. Hmm. And one of the things, Mart, you mentioned a second ago was that maybe he was afraid for his life. Mm-hmm. And I think if we think about maybe some of the other heroes of the Bible, like Moses, we can begin to say, yeah, there's probably some truth to that. Because mm-hmm. Moses was called to go to Israel's enemies. That would have been pretty intimidating too, right, sure. to go before Pharaoh and say, hey, all these people, I need you to let them go. Mm-hmm. Moses probably thought he was going to get killed too. And so I think we can probably guess at, I bet Jonah was afraid. Yeah. In fact, one of the questions I think for us are, what are some of the fears that when God says something might get in the way of us doing what mm-hmm. God has for us mm-hmm. to do? I think then we can begin to understand where Jonah is really coming from. Mm-hmm. Maybe it's somebody that has hurt us that lives across the street, or maybe it's a former boss that treated us very unfairly, and maybe they even fired us, blaming us for something else. I think the hardest part about the story of Jonah, which I think the message of Jonah is pretty much, hey, don't be like Jonah. (laughs) But I think one of the hardest things in this message is the fact that it shows God doesn't just love us, but he loves our enemies. And where in my life do I, through and only through the power of the Holy Spirit and his strength, Mm. need to learn to love my enemies? One of the obvious things about the book of Jonah is that uh, we are not supposed to be like him. But our tendency is so often to be like him. And that's why we really do need the Holy Spirit and his strength to do something as difficult as loving our enemies. Because even just ignoring our enemies or pretending that they don't exist, it's not enough. Loving our enemies is what Jesus said and what God called Jonah to model. Well, there's much more for us to cover in our study of the story of Jonah called Surprise. And so after a quick time out, we'll talk about the weather event that is a key part of this story. So what is the scariest weather event you've ever experienced? That's what Daniel wants to know when we continue. Well, before we get back to our study of the surprises that we run into in the book of Jonah... I want to tell you about a book that group member Bill Crowder has recently written called God of Surprise. Because while we will be discovering some surprises in Jonah, the Bible is actually full of times when God does surprising things. God's ways are often mysterious and counterintuitive. And in this book, Bill examines six times in the Bible when God intervenes in surprising ways. Listen to just a short excerpt of the audiobook in which Bill reads from his book, God of Surprise. The surprising side of God is that he knows how weak and frail we are and patiently calls us to trust him, to trust his wisdom, to trust his love, to trust that in all of his perfection, he accepts our imperfection and works with the raw materials of our hearts 
to form Christ there. And so look for a link on our discovertheword.org website to explore how you can get a copy of Bill Crowder's book, God of Surprise. And now back to more of the surprises that we find in the book of Jonah. What is the scariest weather event you've ever experienced? Well, I don't know if it'd be considered a weather event, but it was the first time I experienced a severe earthquake in uh, Southern California. That was shocking. I don't think that is a weather event, but I (laughs) hear what you're saying. I do. Yeah, Uh what about you, Elise? I think blizzards in Colorado, big ones, just like once a decade where it blows into drifts. I remember we had a drift outside our door onto our deck that was probably 12 feet high. And I began to understand how you could be literally snowed into your house and unable to Mm -hmm. exit. Oh, yeah. Mm -hmm. My most frightening memory would be my first experience of a tornado. Mm -hmm. And as a young child, huddling with my parents and Mm -hmm. brothers in the well pit of our basement and hearing that sound of the train roar by and then that was the tornado. going out yeah mm-hmm. and going out to see the devastation mm-hmm. of our community terrifying yeah for me the memory that comes to mind is my wife's family lives in south florida and we used to live in colorado and so we were making the trek from colorado springs to south florida which is a pretty long drive by it the way <laughs> and uh we were driving my 97 corolla pretty tiny car three kids in the back my wife in the passenger seat I'm driving and we're going through Louisiana and a tropical storm happens to hit at the same time. You can tell how good my planning is for my trips at the same time that we're driving this small little car. And I remember just feeling the car floating and I had to drive slow to try my best to control what I could control. But even then I didn't know for sure Mm. that we would be safe. And I think what we're going to find is that Jonah today finds himself, along with a few other people, in a very similar situation. But before we go there, we've already kind of mentioned that Jonah is somewhat of a surprising book. How is it surprising? Well, it's surprising because the Old Testament seems to be a story of one people. But in Jonah, God reaches beyond that one people, Israel, to a very different people who were actually their enemies. It's surprising because Jonah is a prophet of God. And in the first several verses, he seems to hear from God, but then he doesn't do what his job is, which is to do what God says to do. Yeah, That's surprising. Absolutely. Well, let's jump into the storm part now. So we've talked about the surprising nature. We've talked about Jonah's call to go preach to his enemies, the Ninevites. He runs away, ends up in a boat, sailing to Tarshish, and then what happens? So Jonah chapter 1, verses 4 through 6. But the Lord hurled a great wind upon the sea, and there was a mighty tempest on the sea, so that the ship threatened to break up. Then the mariners were afraid, and each cried out to his God. And they hurled the cargo that was in the ship into the sea to lighten it for them. But Jonah had gone down into the inner part of the ship and had lain down and was fast asleep. So the captain went down after him, and he said, How can you sleep at a time like this? He shouted, Get up and pray to your God. Maybe he will pay attention to us and spare our lives. So the surprises somewhat continue, because there's this giant storm. And what's Jonah doing? Sleeping. He's sleeping. Mm -hmm. Any other stories you can think of in the Bible where (laughs) there's a really big storm, and the seamen are the one afraid, and then somebody's asleep? Yeah. Yeah. 
Jesus, yeah. right? And so right. <laughs> they're going across the Sea of Galilee and the 12 disciples, many of whom are professional fishermen, are scared for their lives and yet Jesus is asleep. And so one of the questions I think we should have in the back of our minds as we're reading this is, how could Jonah be asleep mm-hmm. in the moment of that much terror? One of the things that's great about this book is that it's actually relatively simple language throughout the book. And there's you mean t- in the original language? In the original language. So simple that as I was in seminary learning Hebrew, our professor had us translating sections of Jonah because it fit very well with our very elementary understanding of Hebrew and maybe pre-elementary understanding sometimes. And one of the words that we learned was gadol, which means great. And already in this section, we're seeing this use of the word great. Mm. So what's one of the examples of that? Great wind. It's a great wind. There was a mighty tempest, which is the same use of the Mm -hmm. word. So keep that in mind too. So we have this great wind, this mighty tempest. How big is this tempest? What's happening to the ship? It's threatening to break up. I mean, just come apart at the seams kind of thing. Yeah. And the ships of Tarshish were known for being like legit seafaring, beastly ships. So for this ship... To be groaning and creaking. To be groaning and creaking and threatening to break up. I mean, this is a big deal. I'll read this. This was one of the notes in one of the Bibles I was reading. These ships are of Tarshish, a designation referring to large ocean-going vessels equipped for the high seas or large merchant ships designed for international trade. Mm -hmm. So these are designed to be okay Mm -hmm. in big storms on the high seas. What other indications do we have of how big this storm is? Not only is the ship breaking up, but how are the They mariners? start throwing the cargo overboard, uh, and that's their livelihood. They feel so much threatened for their lives mm-hmm. that they're willing to lose their livelihood rather than lose their lives. Absolutely. So they make their living on taking stuff from this port to this port. And they're throwing their livelihood overboard. And they're crying out to their God. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, as they do. Yeah. What I find so interesting about that, and we aren't quite there yet, but Jonah, who's running away because he doesn't want to take God's message to non-Israelites, is going to end up in a boat with a bunch of (laughs) non-Israelites giving them God's message. (laughs) And who are the people that call out to God's, not the God yet, but God's first? Yeah. It's the sailors. And what I love about the beginning of this story is that it says, then the mariners were afraid and each cried out to his God. So their first step Mm. in a bad situation was to look heavenward or seaward or whoever their God was that Mm -hmm. they're worshiping at that moment because it says each to his God. They knew this storm was something special and outside of their control. Mm -hmm. And they were looking to the only place that they knew to look for help. So big enough storm to almost break the ship apart, big enough storm to make them cry out to their gods and be afraid, big enough storm that they're throwing their livelihood Mm -hmm. overboard. And then I would also say it's a big enough storm that they go and find their paying passenger and wake him up from sleeping. I mean, imagine (laughs) being on a cruise ship, right? And the captain comes and knocks on your door and says, hey, I need you to wake up right now and start praying. Mm. Yeah. It's like they have Billy Graham on board and they're going to go use him. Surely he's got some pull with the Yahweh God. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. And so the captain goes, finds Jonah, wakes him up to get him praying. What a powerful picture that is. Mm -hmm. I remember the tragedy of the high school shooting at Columbine and friends of mine who knew Jesus. The regular folk who had had their children held 
in hostage situation for a long time, came to those they knew had a faith and said, would you pray? Would Hmm. you pray? Would you pray? Hmm. We turn to those people that have identified as believers and we're desperate. We will go. And that looks like that's what's happening here. We saw the same thing, I think, after the events of 9-11, when we had governmental leaders calling the nation to prayer. Mm -hmm. Someone read for me verse six again. What are the words of the captain? The captain went to him and said, how can you sleep? Get up and call on your God. Maybe he will take notice of us so that we will not perish. My translation says, maybe he will be concerned about us. Mm. Maybe. My translation says, perhaps. Perhaps. How much faith did this captain have Mm. that the gods were going to show up and rescue them? Feels like a last hope here. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I mean, listen to that phrase. Perhaps the God will give a thought to us that we may not perish. Perhaps. I really hope so. And what hits me is that they've been praying to their gods. And when he says, again, in my translation, call upon your God, perhaps your God will be concerned. Apparently our gods aren't concerned. Maybe yours will be. Right. And yet sometimes when we pray out to the true God, too. It mm-hmm. seems as though he's not listening. Yeah. Well, you get that in the Psalms, don't you? Yeah. Mm-hmm. How long, mm-hmm. oh Lord, how mm-hmm. long? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I think the question for us is, do we really believe that our God hears us in these moments? In these situations where the ship has fallen apart, our livelihood has fallen apart, where all we know to do is pray. Do we really think that God hears us? You know, I think one of the best ways for us to figure out how big our view of God is is the way we ask God for help and whether or not we really think that he hears and whether we think he cares and as we wonder if he'll respond. And there's a difference when we pray, believing he hears, but yielding how he will express his compassion for us. You know, I can yield and go, he may not deliver what I'm expecting in this moment, but I believe he hears me and I believe he cares. Has God ever used something silly or seemingly insignificant in your life to communicate to you before or to get your attention? (laughs) I have to think about how to answer that question. I often, and I'm trying to come up with a specific too, but I often find myself just laughing as I realize how the Lord came through in ways that I never expected. Mm -hmm. You just get overwhelmed by it. It's funny. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think about just the daily moments, if I notice how he shows up and, you know, maybe it's with my dog, my dog's dependence on me or, you know, doing something silly and howling or something. And the Lord just bringing something to my mind of, yeah, yeah okay, I see myself and my dog. Those things. Is that yeah. what you mean? Yeah. I, I mean, I think of my kids, all the ways my kids point me to who God is. And the example that came to mind as I was thinking about Jonah and Jonah's call from God was when I was in high school, I was considering whether I should go on this mission trip to Romania. And I remember riding in the car and I'd been thinking about that. And a song came on about orphans. And I felt like that was God, Mm -hmm. another tick on that list of God confirming, this is what I want you to do. The silly moment, but it it had great meaning. Yeah. Yeah. And it was a good song and a challenging song. It resonated with But it resonated with me in a way that was beyond just hey, this is an encouraging song about Mm -hmm. ministering to orphans. I felt like it was God's moment of of pushing Mm -hmm. me forward. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I think what we're going to find is that Jonah had one of those silly moments of God pushing him forward today. We've thrown around a few times, and uh, I don't mean to repeat this too much, but I think it's important for the book of Jonah. Jonah's a surprising book. 
It's a surprising story. What are some of the ways we've seen it be surprising so far? God sends Jonah to a people outside of Israel, which, you know, Bill, you've pointed out a couple of times that that was unusual for the Old Testament for us to Mm -hmm. see God caring about anybody besides Israel, the way he starts to express this towards the Ninevites. And for us, it's laughable. He takes a nationalist and sends him to the enemy. Yeah, what's a nationalist? It's somebody who just believes in their own country Mm -hmm. at the expense of others. It's that counterintuitiveness of God, like taking the man maybe most completely prepared to be the apostle to the Jews, mm-hmm. Paul, yes. <laughs> and making him the apostle to the Gentiles. Yeah, it's preposterous. Yeah, so it's a surprising book because in a Old Testament that seems like it's all about one people group, this story is about another people group. Yeah. It's surprising because it's not just about another people group, but it's about Israel's enemies. It's surprising because the word of the Lord comes to Jonah, which we see the word of the Lord come to a lot of prophets. But what does Jonah do? Mm-hmm. He runs the other direction, Mm -hmm. right? So we're seeing these surprise after surprise after surprise. Well, let's read Jonah 1, 7 through 17. I know it's a little longer of a section. So in the last two days, we've talked about, okay, Jonah got this call from God to go to Nineveh to preach, Nineveh being Israel's enemy. Jonah, instead of saying anything to God, goes to the port, buys a ticket to Tarshish, and gets on a boat, tries to sail the other direction. Last time we saw that a huge storm big enough that professional seamen are scared for their lives, big enough that these boats designed for the high seas are breaking apart. That's how big the storm is. And they're in the midst of that storm right now. They've been crying out to their gods. They're hoping some God is going to answer. And at this point, they're like, you know what? What else can we do but this? And that's where we're at. In those surprises you were talking about earlier, Daniel, at the end of verse 3, it says, he went up to go with them to Tarshish, from the presence of the Lord, as if the Lord <laughs> uh, was everywhere but Tarshish. <laughs> I mean, he's going to find out God's still with him, even though he's trying to yep. get away. And so the captain then goes in search of Jonah, and he's asleep in the innermost part of the boat, and he's like, hey, wake up, call on your God. Maybe your God can help us out here. And then Jonah chapter 1, verse 7. Yeah, it says the crew cast lots to see which of them had offended the gods and caused this terrible storm. Okay, so stop. So we're talking about all these surprises. So they're so desperate at this point, they're like, well, what should we do now? Get the dice. Yeah, (laughs) let's get some dice. (laughs) And it actually works. Yeah, so they're casting lots. And what happens, Bill? It says, um, so they cast lots and the lot fell on Jonah. Then they said to him, tell us now. On whose account has this calamity struck us? What is your occupation? Where do you come from? What is your country? Sorry, they didn't know he was the religious dude we were talking about. Okay, keep going. From what people are you? And it strikes me as odd. You're in the middle of this storm getting ready to die, and you want to know what this guy does for a living? What is your nationality? (laughs) (laughs) Wow. That's interesting questions. And he must have been traveling kind of almost in disguise. Mm -hmm. For good reason. He didn't appear to be a Hebrew to them. So they cast lots surprising. The lot falls on Jonah, surprising. (laughs) And then they go into these series of interview Mm -hmm, questions. mm -hmm. And how does Jonah respond? He says, I'm a Hebrew and I fear the Lord, the God of heaven who made the sea and the dry land. And then the men were exceedingly afraid and said to him, what is this that you've done? All right, stop there. Exceedingly afraid. Aren't these guys already afraid? Yeah. What's ironic in this is that 
If Jonah really feared the Lord, he'd be heading to Nineveh, not to Tarshish. Isn't that interesting? It's like maybe now all of a sudden he's super afraid because he knows God's caught him. Yes, they go from being afraid of the storm to now being even more afraid. Why are they afraid? Because of God. Because of God. Well, the next verse says the men knew he was fleeing from the presence of the Lord because he had told them. So it's out. Yeah. Not only are they now starting to put the pieces together, wow, this storm is not just because there's a God we don't know who's causing it, but this guy ticked off the God. The God who made the heaven and the earth. <laughs> yeah. And they cry out. They say, oh, why did you do it? Mm-hmm. They groaned. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> you know, why did you offend your God at our expense? It's like Jonah is realizing, I mean, he left in order to flee from the presence of the Lord. And he awakens to discover he's run straight into the presence of the Lord. That's a lesson for all of us. You know, we may Mm -hmm. think we can flee until we're in a moment Mm -hmm. when we realize he's everywhere. He's right where we ran to be away from him. He's right there. Yeah, And he loves us. We just don't get it. Right. (laughs) It's scary. Yeah. Now let's try to put on our ancient history hats for a second. At this time, what would the sailors believe are the consequences of ticking off one Mm -hmm. of the gods? the hammer would fall. And that's why they're asking Jonah, how could you do this? You brought all of us into your problem and into your mess. Yeah. Yeah. You didn't do what I said. So boom. Mm -hmm. How do they naturally respond? Let's keep reading. Then they said to him, what? What should we do to you that the sea may be calm for us? For the sea was becoming increasingly stormy. You picture them wanting to make offerings and stuff, yeah. yeah. Now, remember how we mentioned last time about gadol, that word for great, and how it gets repeated? Mm-hmm. Well, now we have a place in the scriptures where it says it's getting even greater. Wow. So where were we already? We were in a storm where the ship is breaking apart. Yeah. Mm-hmm. We're in a storm that is so great that they're scared for their lives. It's getting even worse as they look around. They were afraid, now they're even more afraid. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And think about this too. God hurled the storm. We see that word hurled. The men then hurl the stuff overboard. Mm -hmm. Mm. And maybe there's some other ways that they were hurling too (laughs) because of the storm. (laughs) What does Jonah tell them to do? Mm. Pick me up and hurl me into the sea, and then the sea will quiet down for you, for I know it is because of me that this great tempest has come upon you. Mm. Jonah says, hurl me in. Throw me into the sea, and it's going to fix everything. Now, how do they respond? They start rowing away. And now when I read this, I think of in the situations in my life and in the lives of others who I know who are suffering, and we think that we see the easy way out, which the easy way out in this would be, why didn't God just let them make it to the land? Mm-hmm. Right? I mean, they're going to row to the land, let Jonah off, mm-hmm. and then Jonah can find his way to Nineveh. It seems like that would be the easy thing, but what happens instead? Instead, it says, however, the men rode desperately to return to land, but they could not, for the storm was becoming even stormier against them, so it's increasing more. Then they called on the Lord and said, We earnestly pray, O Lord, do not let us perish on account of this man's life, and do not put innocent blood on us, for you, O Lord, have done as you have pleased. Who did they cry out to? Jonah's God. Jonah's God. Yahweh. Up to this point... They've been crying out to these small G gods Mm -hmm. that they're hoping may be off vacation for this week and Mm -hmm. might hear them and might do something. It's not working. That didn't work. Mm -mm. So then they cast lots. Then they find out, oh man, Jonah serves the God. One of the themes that we've talked about is the great storm, Mm. the great tempest that gets bigger, Mm. the great city of Nineveh. The great fear. The great fear Mm -hmm. that the men have. Now 
Jonah gets thrown overboard and he gets swallowed by what? The a great, great fish. But ultimately, this story is not about all these earthly great things that might intimidate us or overwhelm mm. us, but it's about an even greater God that all of this is pointing toward. Mm. Yeah, that Hebrew word translated great is an important part of this study that we're doing. And as Daniel said, ultimately, the story of Jonah with all these great things is the story of a great God. Well, I saw a quote on social media the other day that said, considering how my life has been going lately, it turns out that rock bottom has a basement. (laughs) Have you ever been there? Yeah, lots of different reasons and causes, but uh, I think we all have had a time that for us feels like the basement under rock bottom. Well, in this next part of our study of the Old Testament book of Jonah called Surprise, we're going to see something surprising about Jonah's rock bottom experience. How did he respond and how do we respond to spending time in the basement under rock bottom? Well, let's listen. Have you ever been in a situation where you felt like you were just at the bottom, like things couldn't get much worse? Count the times. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Yeah, Yeah. and it's painful. It's hard to talk about, honestly. It's hard to go there in my heart. Yeah. I was pastoring, and um, everything that could go wrong was going wrong. And I remember just kind of collapsing in a heap Mm -hmm. on the floor of the auditorium and just saying, okay, God, I quit. I'm done. I just can't do this anymore. I'd be in a season of family issues and um, thinking it was all everybody else. And I'd come back from a counseling session (laughs) and I'd get my big comforter that I clung to in those days, a big blanket. And I actually went into the tiniest room in our house, which was a little commode room in our bathroom. And I would truly get in the fetal position and just cry. Mm-hmm. Just cry. Mm-hmm. I remember waiting at the windowsill at night, deep into the night, night after night, you know. Mm-hmm. And then in a sense, year after year. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's so hard. Yeah, same thing. You know, count the times. I'm actually more thinking about the people right now in my life who I know who are in those moments now. They are going through it. And it just doesn't seem like things are getting any better. How do we normally respond in situations like that when we talk to God, if we talk to God? I like the way you qualified that, Daniel. That's so honest. We may not be able to form words. I have a friend who's a songwriter, and she actually wrote a lyric, When There Are No Words, Spirit Speak. It's a phrase. I actually sing that song a lot. Mm -hmm. I just know her work. But that's often, I can't even utter anything, but my heart cries out. Mm -hmm. I hear that, and I think of Romans 8. That in those times when we don't know how to pray as we should, that the Holy Spirit prays on our behalf. And what comes to my mind is not maybe that honorable of a place, but sometimes I'm most grateful for the times when I had the freedom to get angry with God and Mm -hmm. just shout. Mm -hmm. And for some reason, that seemed to be a positive movement forward. Mm -hmm. Rather than just feeling like I've got to surrender, I've got to, you know, I'm not proud of the anger, but I feel like it was good. Mm-hmm. It needed to happen. I needed to feel my will up against his and to dare to believe that he could handle that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, in the Old Testament, I think one of the stories that helps us realize it's okay to raise our fists to the heavens and yell is the story of Job. Yeah. 
Job being at the very bottom. The story of Jonah is a little different. The story of Jonah, he ends up being at the very bottom, somewhat literally, in the ocean. He gets swallowed by a great fish, which is where we left him last time. But what we find from Jonah is something pretty surprising again. He's going to proclaim a song of praise to God at the very bottom. And I think that should be surprising to us because of what we just described. In our lives, we have the tendency to cry out to God, which is so important sometimes, right? It is so important to know that our God is big enough, right? Last time we talked about the greater God than the great storm, the great fish, the great fear, that God was even greater. Mm -hmm. God is great enough and big enough that if we have to say, why God, and raise our fists to the heavens, God can handle that. At the same time, though, he's also a God that's in control. And that perspective can sometimes shift when we realize that even in the worst situations, there is still some good. And that's what we're going to find today in the story of Jonah. Let's look at Jonah chapter 2. We're going to read the whole chapter because this is Jonah's surprising song of praise to God from the belly of the fish. Mm. And that's actually how it begins. Then Jonah prayed to the Lord his God from the belly of the fish, saying, I called out of my distress to the Lord, and he answered me. I cried for help from the depth of Sheol. You did hear my voice. For you cast me into the deep, into the heart of the seas, and the flood surrounded me. All your waves and your billows passed over me. Then I said, I'm driven away from your sight, yet I shall again look upon your holy temple. I sank beneath the waves and the waters closed over me and seaweed wrapped itself around my head and I sank down to the very roots of the mountains. I was imprisoned in the earth whose gates locked shut forever. But you, O Lord my God, snatched me from the jaws of death. As my life was ebbing away, I remembered the Lord and my prayer came to you into your holy temple. Those who worship vain idols forsake their true loyalty. But I, with the voice of thanksgiving, will sacrifice to you what I have vowed I will pay. Deliverance belongs to the Lord. Then the Lord commanded the fish, and it vomited Jonah up onto the dry land. We've all described those moments in our lives of pain. Where do we see that in Jonah's psalm? called out to the Lord out of my distress, out of mm-hmm. the belly of Sheol. He's not talking about a fish. He's talking about really the shady place of hell. Yeah, he says, I've been expelled from your sight. You know, as someone whose life was supposed to be expressed as a servant of the Lord, to be expelled from God's sight would be pretty hard. Yeah, and when he said, I sank beneath the waves and the waters closed over me, that's a pretty terrifying thought. Yeah. Yeah. Drowning. I yeah. read somewhere one time that drowning was something that to ancient Israelites was the most horrifying way to die. Uh-huh. Hmm. And he describes it as, I think, Mark, your translation talked about it being a prison. Mine says, mm-hmm. to a land whose bars closed over and into a pit. But yours has some words about a prison, Mark. Yeah, I was imprisoned in the earth whose gates locked shut forever. I wonder how many people that are with us today can identify with one of those phrases Mm -hmm. that we've just said. Mm -hmm. How many times we in our lives can Mm -hmm. identify with one of those phrases where it feels like our life is ebbing away 
or where the gates are locked shut, the bars are locked shut. I know people in my life that their kids are in jail right now. And so the gates being shut, the bars being shut to them is a very literal, I can't spend time with my son like I used to anymore Mm -hmm. or my daughter because she's in jail. How many times in our lives can we identify with something in this? Mm -hmm. More often than not. Mm -hmm. I think, you know, when it begins, I called out of my distress to the Lord. I think that's almost like the definition of prayer. Mm -hmm. I mean, we have those brief moments where things are good and everybody's healthy and we can breathe and say, oh, thank you, Lord. But most of life is crying out of our distress. And Jonah's not the only one that does. You know what? Verse two, I called to the Lord out of my distress and he answered me out of the belly of Sheol. I cried and you heard my voice. Who else does that sound like? David. Yeah. Yeah. David several times. I have uh, Psalm 40 verse two listed here. He lifted me out of the slimy pit, out of the mud and mire. Mm. And then he set my feet on a rock and gave me a firm place to stand. Mm. Psalm 30 verse three, you Lord brought me up from the realm of the dead You spared me from going down to the pit. You know, I think people too, and some of us here, when you have a health problem, that really feels that Mm -hmm. way too, because your body can't respond the way you long for it to. Or when someone you love Mm -hmm. is battling with a health problem that does not seem to have a solution. Mm -hmm. It just feels dark all the time. In verse 7, where it describes exactly what you're talking about, the life ebbing away. And then what does it say? I remembered the Lord. Mm -hmm. How often in our lives does it take some of the worst situations for Mm -hmm. us to remember the Lord? My wife's been in a a pretty serious health thing for the last few years, and um, she's been doing really great lately, by the way. But um, she was in that moment of feeling like life was ebbing. And uh, not because she was close to death, but because her body was losing functions. Mm -hmm. And I remember her just describing that as it's amazing how God would meet me in such unexpected ways when she felt her life was ebbing away. And sometimes she did what we talked about earlier and said, okay, Lord, I don't get it. Mm -hmm. And I'm a little angry right now. Mm -hmm. But other times she found that remembering the Lord is what brought her hope Mm -hmm. in those moments. Mm -hmm. And here Jonah prays. And in verse seven, does God hear him? Yeah. And my prayer came to you into your holy temple. And then he says, I, with the voice of thanksgiving, will sacrifice to you. In other words, in this moment, when Jonah is at the absolute bottom, he realizes that there is hope. And that hope leads to something that I find impossible sometimes, which is in the middle of one of his darkest moments, the hope that comes from God leads him to being able to thank God for his deliverance. You're listening to Marty Hahn, Elisa Morgan, Bill Crowder, and Daniel Ryan Day around the table talking about Jonah. And uh, we're kind of leaving him in a tough spot as we come to the end of part one of this podcast, kind of a cliffhanger, leaving him where he is. Jonah's life literally could not get any lower. And so what happens next? We'll pick up right there in part two of Surprise, the amazing story and message of Jonah. And next time, Jonah's story leads Daniel to ask another really soul-searching question. Are there people in my life today that I've decided are not worthy of God's mercy and grace? Are there people that because of my circumstances, because of the way my family grew up, because of the nation I'm a part of, that I don't want God to meet them? 
And so make sure that you are at the table for part two of Surprise on the next Discover the Word podcast. Discover the Word is a small group Bible study from Our Daily Bread Ministries in Grand Rapids, Michigan, in which we invite you to walk with us through topics and passages that inform the way we read the scriptures, challenge us as we live our lives as followers of Christ, and always point us to discover Jesus in the pages of the Bible. And as we close this episode, just want you to know that we are grateful to have friends like you joining us for these conversations. And we're also grateful for the supportive friends who make this ministry possible through their financial giving. Discover the Word is free for anyone to listen to, but producing and distributing these studies comes, of course, with some expense. And so your gift today will help us continue to make the life-changing story and wisdom of the Bible understandable and accessible to people all around the world. You can show your support by giving online at discovertheword.org. Click Donate. Well, thanks for listening. I'm Brian Hedinga, and Discover the Word is provided by Our Daily Bread Ministries.